In this episode, we speak with Aviva Klompas, a super talented writer, storyteller, and much more. From the first moments, as the tragedy of October 7th began to unfold, Aviva documented the hostage horror. Each one of her posts on social media is a work of art. The information is so thoughtfully and carefully curated. The telling of the unbearable suffering and cruelty, so sensitive. Her work, two months on, stands as an important historical testimony. The magnitude of the never-ending nightmare unfolding as she learns of new facts. No single person has done more in English language social media to ensure that each hostage, each family, has their story told. Aviva Klompas not only intuited the historical importance of the moment, but she acted upon it, ensuring that all those little things that are forgotten or that fade from memory will be memorialized forever. I'm Vivian Berkovich, former Canadian ambassador to Israel, now living in the magnificent state of Tel Aviv. Stay with us. Thursday, December 14th, was the last of the eight nights of the Hanukkah festival, when Jewish people around the world celebrate their survival over destructive forces. The historical basis of the holiday took place in the second century before the Common Era, when Seleucids, Syrian Greeks, ruled the area where the Jews lived and sought to force them to accept their beliefs instead of remaining loyal to the Jewish religion. As has been the norm throughout history, some Jews were keen to assimilate, others less so. It is the latter group, the faithful and devoted, led by the great warrior Judah the Maccabee, that prevailed. They defeated the far more powerful Seleucid forces. The candelabra in the temple was lit to commemorate their triumph, but there was only enough oil to last for one day. Miraculously, it burned for eight days. And so, Hanukkah is the Jewish festival of light, a celebration of miracles, and a time when we indulge in delicious oily foods. This year, Hanukkah, the festival of light and miracles, was darkened by the plight of 135 hostages, now being held by Hamas in the Gaza Strip since October 7th. And they are believed to be alive. They include adult and elderly men, young women, children, and even one baby, Kfir Bibas, who was nine months old when captured. 110 hostages have been released. 19 have been murdered in captivity. Each day in Tel Aviv, the families and friends of the captives gather at Hostage Square, a central cultural plaza that has become a place for all to assemble and remember, mourn and support one another. Throughout the holiday period, there have been nightly gatherings to light the menorah and hope collectively for a desperately needed miracle. I could think of no one better to speak with on this day than Aviva Klompas. Aviva Klompas. CEO and co-founder of Boundless and influencer extraordinaire on social media. Thank you so much for making time today for the state of Tel Aviv. 
It's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me on. Since October 7th, you've just been doing such exceptional work on Twitter and on other social media, focusing on the hostages and the excruciating toll it's taking. You were so quick, you were so prescient, and you were so laser focused right from the beginning. What made you do that? What made you start? I don't think it was a conscious decision. I think when I reflect back on those early days, it really did feel like the fog. We didn't really know what was happening. I think about on the day of October 7th, we thought it was 20 people had terrorists had infiltrated Southern Israel, then we thought it was 60. And then the magnitude of it, when we heard people had been kidnapped, and I thought about Gilad Chalit, a country, a nation lost its mind over one hostage who was held for five years and we had to exchange for 1,000 prisoners. And as we're just watching in real time and we're seeing the images of it happening, there is something that was just activated or sparked inside of me. And I used to be the speechwriter for the Israeli delegation to the United Nations under Ambassador Ron Persor. And I've worked in the field of Israel engagement in education and combating anti-Semitism for a long time. I co-founded a nonprofit called Boundless which deals in particular with Israel education and fighting anti-Semitism. So this is really what I think about. It's what's most important to me. I feel very grateful that my professional life reflects my personal interests. And so it's not a conscious decision. It, it really just feels like these stories need to be told. This information needs to be shared. And I'm committed to doing that. And it shows, I mean, what you really have a knack for is storytelling. One of the things that's really struck me is how beautifully and artfully you seem to cull information and sift information from so many different sources and the magnitude of the horrors that you're distilling. I don't have to tell you how difficult it is and how draining it is, but you do it. And your posts just bring so much together so empathically. So I just have to commend you for that. It's great work that you've been doing and you continue to do. This moment, though, is really so exceptional for so many reasons. And how do you interpret the larger kind of um, significance of oh, this hostage drama? I don't know what to call it. We don't have words. We need a whole new vocabulary, right? How are you processing just, yeah. it? How are you putting it into some kind of perspective and place? I think about that all the time, and I think about the fact that we don't really understand the magnitude of what we are living in. In as much as the days and weeks after October 7th were a fog, I think we're in a fog now. We just don't quite realize it. And as we move further away from October 7th, that will become clearer and clearer. And I am absolutely certain that October 7th is a day in infamy. And one day our children and our grandchildren are just going to ask us about this period and this dark state in time. And they're going to say to us, the world promised never again. An entire institution, the United Nations, was built out of the ashes of the Holocaust. And its mission was to fulfill that promise to ensure that there wouldn't be mass atrocities again. And so they're going to rightly ask us, so what happened? What happened when Hamas perpetrated the largest massacre of Jews since the Holocaust. It couldn't be more evident that this is the time for the never again promise. And we're going to have to tell them the truth. 
not only was the UN not there, when they finally did speak up, it wasn't for us, it was for the terrorists. They shamefully passed a resolution just this week that didn't even mention Hamas. And they're going to ask us, okay, if not the United Nations, what about the other international organizations? And we're going to have to tell them about how they failed us as well, that they exist to uphold the rights and the freedoms and the dignity of humans, the women's rights organizations that exist to protect women's rights in particular, and they were nowhere to be seen either. And then they're going to ask us, okay, if institutions failed, what about regular people? Did regular people take matters into their own hands? Did they go out marching in the capital cities of countries all over the world to condemn, to denounce the terrorists and to demand the release of the hostages? And we're going to have to tell them some did, but most people who went out to protest, they went out to protest in support of the terrorists. It's insane to even hear myself say this out loud, and yet that's the truth. And not just that. It became a pretense in order to unleash a wave of Jew hatred all over the world, to open the floodgates of anti-Semitism. Shame on all of them. This October 7th denial movement, as you point out, it took, even in the West, there was enough shame after the Holocaust that it took a few decades for the Holocaust denial movement to go public and people speak openly about it. But it took hours, hours. And as you quite rightly point out, we see this all over the world, outright denial that these atrocities, which were videotaped, as we know, and which Hamas thugs boasted about, being denied. It's just surreal how inverted everything is. And we're both Canadians. I have to, you know, we're part of that Canadian stealth movement all over the world, Aviva and I, both from Toronto originally, and our prime minister in particular was disgraceful, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, in coming out hours before the vote and saying all of these things like that Hamas needs to surrender and they need to lay down their arms and they need to release the hostages and all these very strong preconditions in a statement he made uh, with Australia and New Zealand, spoke to Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu 15 minutes before the vote, and then Canada voted against Israel. 153 countries shamefully voted for the resolution this week. And I'll tell you what they did and why each one of them is a dark stain in the record of humanity. They just went and telegraphed to every terror organization on this planet that there are no real consequences for murder, for rape, for torture, and for kidnapping. They have just telegraphed that you get a scold, get a slap on the hand. That's it. It has made the world infinitely more dangerous for all of us. Absolutely. And that's such an important point because it's not just for Jews. And because on October 7th, Hamas didn't just attack Jews. They didn't ask to see if you were wearing a Begin David or a kippah before they attacked. They attacked Jews, Muslims, Christians, Buddhists, Druze. There was absolutely nobody who was off limits. Same for babies, children, parents, grandparents. There's no rules. We've always known that Hamas doesn't play by the rules of war. That's been evident since they were founded. But now we learn that they don't play by the rules of humanity. And then to go and to pass a resolution that doesn't even mention the terror group that committed these crimes, it's inexplicable. It really is. People often ask me, why? Why is this surge in anti-Semitism in particular happening? Or 
is this, do I think it's the same as what we saw in the years preceding the Holocaust? And I think that's not the right question to be asking ourselves, because as we know, anti-Semitism is irrational and it's always there. It's either simmering in the background or like we're seeing right now, boiling over. The question is not why does it happen, because there isn't really an answer to that. The question is, what am I going to do about that? And what we need to understand and what we need to press other people, especially our non-Jewish friends and neighbors to understand, is that the question is, how is history going to record you? And we all have to understand that in this moment, we're on the record with history. And history is going to record who amongst us was a perpetrator of evil, who was a bystander, and who was an upstander. Thank you so much, Aviva, for everything that you do, for being such a powerful unrelenting voice for the hostages, for the hostage families, and for freedom and decency and humanity everywhere. Your work is deeply appreciated. I will be at uh, Hostage Square tonight, Kikar Chatufim in Tel Aviv, where, as you know, I live for the last night of Hanukkah. We will be lighting candles, and I know that you will be there with us in spirit. Thank you so much. I most certainly will. And thank you so much. We, We say every night of Hanukkah, to the one who did miracles for our ancestors. We pray for miracles, but we fight to make them real. And you're fighting to make them real as well. Amen. So thank you. Let's do it together. Tonight in Hostage Square, there were a number of gatherings, each one honoring a different person or a group of hostages still in captivity. By chance, I attended the lighting ceremony for Carmela Gatt a 39-year-old Tel Aviv resident who was visiting her mother, Kineret, at Kibbutz Be'eri for the holiday weekend. Carmela and her sister-in-law, Yardin, were taken hostage. Her mother, she learned on October 15th, had been murdered on the day of the attack, October 7th. Yardin has since been released, but Carmela remains in Hamas captivity. She is a student at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, working towards her master's degree in occupational therapy. We leave you with the voices of her friends, blessing the candles being lit, and sharing with those present, friends and strangers, how they missed their dear friend and colleague, Carmela. What a generous person she is, of spirit. We know from hostages that have been released that for some time Carmela was in captivity with children, and she would lead them in gentle yoga every day. Something, anything, to distract from the horror of their reality. יש לה גם את כוחות העל של מטפלת מלידה, וכולי תקווה שכוחות אלו עוזרים לה לשרוד בעזה, כך שהאור הפנימי שלה ממשיך להעיר גם בחושך. אני כבר כל כך מחכה לה, לחיבוק אוהב ומנחם, להתאבל יחד על אובדנה של כנרת, אימא שלה זיכרונה לברכה, וגם לשמוע על החוויות מהטיול שרק חזרה ממנו מהודו כמה ימים לפני שנחטפה. ואולי גם להיסחף לעוד שיחה על הלימודים והמקצוע, או פשוט, גם פשוט, שתהיה זמינה בוואטסאפ. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the State of Tel Aviv and Beyond podcast. We'll keep the dispatches coming as frequently as we can. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment, rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. You can check out our full library of articles and podcasts at our website, stateoftelaviv.com. State of Tel Aviv is an independent media venture, and we rely on subscribers to support our work. If you are not yet a paying subscriber, please consider taking the plunge today. Each person really does make a huge difference, especially in these very challenging times in Israel. It is important that you stay informed and current and seek out a range of perspectives. This is a pivotal moment in Israeli history. It is not a time to be passive and disengaged. Thanks for sticking with me to the end. I'm Vivian Berkovich, signing off from deep inside the state of Tel Aviv.